are listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. This episode of the Traditional Outdoors Podcast is brought to you by St. Joe River Bows. If you're looking for a custom longbow or recurve, then St. Joe River Bows has you covered. St. Joe's is a family-owned company that specializes in traditional bows for the entire family. And their forward handle design, powerful limbs, and unique wood and color combinations make St. Joe's the perfect choice for the budding or experienced archer or bow hunter. Tracy offers bow options for all members of the family from the youngest to the oldest, and they even offer a trade-in program on all youth bows. Now, I have known Tracy and David Belowski for many years, and both Nick and I, plus both of our families, just love Tracy and David. So check out their website at www.stjoeriverbows.com or call Tracy Belowski at 517-617-3658. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. Here we are with episode number 19. Uh, On the other end of the line, I've got Nick hanging out. How's it going, buddy? Oh, it's going good, Steve. How are you doing? Ah, oh, pretty good. Um, getting excited. You know, we've got uh, it's it's coming up on the end of July, and my hunting season will officially start this year on on September first with our our trip out west to to hunt mule deer. So I'm I'm really trying to start putting some thought into uh, whitetails and getting ready for our our Georgia deer season. But I'll be honest, it's 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 hard to stop thinking about planning and daydreaming about Wyoming. Oh, gotcha. You must be excited for that, man. Really? I really am. And, you know, it's uh, Tom, uh, our, our friend Tom Jurgensen is is on his way back from Africa right now. So as soon as he gets back, you know, I know he's going to need a, a week to probably catch up because he's been gone for two weeks. But, um, you know, we've got a we've got a, a episode I want to do with him about, you know, gear selections for Wyoming. And we still have we still have quite a few logistics we've got to finalize and get planned out. So it's going to be a very, very busy August. Yeah, it's going to be a busy August for us, too. We've got the um, the, Mich- the Michigan Longbow Association shoot, the Great Lakes Longbow Invitational coming up. And uh, I always help with that. And uh, that's my biggest camping trip of the year. And uh, then I got some scouting on my end to do for deer season, and then I got my trip with you coming up. So uh, that's uh, not quite as exciting as Wyoming, but it's pretty exciting to me. So this should be good. And and that's a good point. So I know you're you were planning on doing some scouting this week, possibly this weekend, um, for the the episode we we recently talked about that we're that we're actually working on putting together. And I'm doing the same thing. We've got a. We got a college visit on Saturday with uh, with Bella, and uh, it'll take up most of my day. But I'm actually planning on getting up early Sunday. I've I've kind of picked out the area that that I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna scout. I've I've looked at it a couple of years, but I've never actually walked up into the area and, and put boots on the ground. So uh, hopefully we can work on that separately, but. <laughs> with a <laughs> with a common goal so we can you know try to get that out hopefully by the end of august is what i'm shooting for yeah i mean i've done everything i can digitally up to this point so all that all the scouting i'm actually looking at two different areas i'm kind of looking at that um that one small area that i i've been hunting the since uh, 2011 and um there's a couple spots i found there that i really want to try which is which is a little more in the uh, a little more in the urban side because it's got a lot of private property bordering it that I uh, 
Like I literally walked by to get out to my spot. Like it was funny because I was hunting there late season and I could see, uh, I could see all the Christmas lights come on when I got dark. <laughs> so it was kind of fun to walk past all that, but there's uh there's some deer there and I, um, I have a feeling they're bedded up on private property, but moving through that public land and, and, uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited to, to try some things. I'm also really excited to, to listen to this episode for this reason. So who we got, who we got coming up here, Steve? Yeah. And I, I really kind of hate the way this one played out, uh, as far as the recording, because, uh, I recorded this one face to face with a, a good friend of mine and, uh, kind of what you alluded to, we're we're talking about urban whitetail strategies this week. So, kind of starting to get fired up for for hunting seasons, which are just around the corner, and we're you know we're really shifting some of our content to to really put a laser focus on on some of um, some of the topics and skills and so forth around uh, around hunting season. So, I sat down last week with uh, Mr. Crispin Henry. Uh, I've known Crispin for for many years. He's a he's a really good friend of mine. He's fairly local. He, he lives uh you know pretty much inside the city li- limits of Atlanta, for all intents and purposes. But he attends the the local uh, traditional 3D shoot that we have uh, first of every month. He's usually there, and we spend a good bit of time talking. And it's it's one that I've been wanting to sit down and and record for quite some time, but. Uh, and Crispin hunts, uh, he hunts some public land too, but, uh, he, he spends a lot of time focused on hunting what we call here in Atlanta inside the perimeter, which is inside the, uh, the 285 beltway that goes around the city. Um, so he's hunting a lot of, you know, real small tracks. Um, and as you, people will see from some of the, the photos we, we release with this episode, he's been very successful. He's, he's taken some some really really nice bucks so yeah it was a lot of fun to sit down and talk to him yeah i can't wait to hear what he has to say and see if there's some uh some tips and tactics i might be able to pick up on there and for for those of those people that don't know crispin crispin's in actually quite a few uh quite a few groups and communities or he has been in the past and and he always he's always posting great harvest picks and he's always got a lot of great things to say and and very very soft-spoken guy very intelligent and uh, well-respected in the community. Yes, and he's even been in, uh, I know he's had at least one photo in traditional bow huntery. I think he may have had more than one. And like you said, you just, you won't find a more down-to-earth, easy to get along with, just an overall super nice guy. And I, I would invite everyone to to really pay attention to some of the things that Crispin says around um, some of the, uh, I guess you'd call it the, the the strategies or the the tips and techniques that he uses to kind of stay out of the uh, stay under the radar. I guess you know in a in an urban setting where there's just a lot of people everywhere, and you you obviously have you know people that are both for and uh, against hunting. And he does have some some really good ap- approaches to how he not only uh, obtains access to hunt these properties, but you know, maintains his, his access and ability to hunt some of these little tracts of land. So very interesting stuff. You ready to jump in? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, everyone, here we go with Mr. Crispin Henry. All right. So I'm, I'm sitting here with Mr. Crispin Henry. Crispin, I, I really appreciate you, you coming out. We're actually sitting in a bit of an unusual space. We're sitting in uh, my office where I occasionally work. We've got a, a just a gorgeous backdrop and a view. I wish everybody could see it, but yeah. uh, 
appreciate you coming out and enjoying me, oh, man. How, how's it going? Good, good. Thank you for inviting me. This is beautiful. This uh, where you where you're looking out your view. That's uh, prime hunting property around here in the metro area. It's it's actually prime, uh, and that's kind of what we're going to get into here. But that, it's actually prime in between all these buildings that you can see. But I tend to I tend to again people can't see this they get on here but i tend to look a little bit further where i can actually see the the blue ridge mountains blue ridge off mountains. in the distance because yeah. that's yeah. where i love to hunt so yeah. yeah but we're uh i wanted to i wanted to get you on here and and talk about you kind of have a a special i'd say a special skill set when it comes to to finding properties to hunt you are a you are a a urban whitetail slayer i i'm fortunate <laughs> I, I look at as fortunate and lucky um there's a good number of people um, in the area, but uh, I'm fortunate and lucky. Um, kind of how I got into it was um, back in, uh, I bow hunted as a kid. I stopped hunting for a while. Like most people, you find other hobbies. Um, got into triathlons. Uh, did that for several years. Um, and then, coincidentally, the same year I got married, actually the same month, um, a buddy called me and says, hey, I didn't know you used to hunt. And I said, yeah, he was an old Marine buddy. Right. And he says, well, my aunt owns 100 acres down in, you know, Noonan, Georgia. He says, how about you come hunt with me? So uh, I'm announced to my wife because she never knew me to be a hunter. (laughs) And so I told her it was uh, Halloween and uh, started hunting with a rifle. Um, And so for 2008, 2009, part of 2009, I was hunting with a rifle. Well, during that time, I was still racing triathlons. And uh, my wife and I would run every morning at five o'clock. We'd head on out for a run. Mm-hmm. And I was getting ready to do the uh, Georgia Ironman. And that morning, training for that, five o'clock one morning, I'm out running. And less than a quarter mile from the house, I see this buck. He was huge. Now, no, back then I didn't know, but he was probably a 140 class or larger. And... Um, and my wife says, no, look at the one next to it. And I'm like, whoa. So the whole run, all I'm thinking about is who do I know that owns a bow? Now, back then, I wasn't hunting with a, with a trad bow. It was a compound. Um, and so um, I had a buddy, the same buddy who had asked me to, uh, to come hunt with him. Mm-hmm. He had a bow. He never hunted with it. It was just a bow that he had. It was something I think he got out of flea market or something. And so I called him. I said, hey, is there any chance I could borrow your bow? He says, well, come on down to McDonough. Come pick it up. So I went and got the bow. I went to Bass Pro Shop. I sighted it. I bought three-pin sight. I uh, bought a, uh, a, a, I think, a, uh, I can't remember, can't remember what combined. Anyway, I bought a rest for it, bought a three-hour quiver. I sighted in the top pin in Bass Pro Shop. Uh, and I had he had some old Rocky Mountain broadheads. And I don't even remember what spine arrows. I don't even know if they were spine for the bow. But either way, <laughs> I went out, and a week and a half or two later, I shot. Uh, well, let me go back. So I, I started knocking on doors. And I knocked on a door of uh, where I saw the buck. And I asked the guy there, I said, hey, do you mind if I hunt your backyard? He says, well, no, I don't mind. I said, what about the house behind you? He goes, well, the lady that lives in that house, she's now in a retirement home. But this is her, her son's name. Mm-hmm. So I went to Google and I found him. And I called him up, told him who I was, told him I was interested in hunting the back, the, his backyard. Right. Would he give me permission? He said, sure. He says, if you get one, just call me and let me know. 
It so happens he was a hunter, but he hunts out west. He owns a company, pretty large company. He doesn't hunt in the urban area. He hunts out west, Montana somewhere. Um, and so I got permission. I went out there and I set up a stand. And, it, 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 you know, there were several uh, travel corridors. Uh-huh. So and I just sat up on a travel corridor and in came a little uh, little eight-pointer or a little six-pointer. Six pointer, and I shot it and I was hooked. I was hooked from then on. So we should, uh, I should, I should probably just mention that we are talking about right outside the city limits, or possibly even inside. I don't want to give away your locations, but no, we're no, in, I, we're I, in Atlanta. It's I, Atlanta. Yes, I have areas that are. There's one area I have that's not four miles outside the city, four miles from down city of downtown Atlanta. And therefore, um, like a lot of cities, there are no firearms. No so firearms. your only option to hunt is with, a, with bow, a bow, which again, that's that's not a that's it's not unique easy. to Atlanta. That's no. everywhere. So people that think they don't have areas to hunt, the areas are there. The areas are there. You just got to go find they, them. They just have to go find them. You know, um, and also be cognizant of you know just because you get permission to hunt hunt, hunt a property. Um, you know, I, I had an area, a guy called me and says, Hey, you can come hunt my, there in my yard. And I went over to the house and it's open. It, 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 there was a big buck in his yard. This was, you know, I just drove by a couple of days later. Right. There was a big buck in the yard, but if I shot it, he's running three or four yards over it. It's, 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 it's not, um, I don't want to say hunting off somebody's porch, but it's just not, it's, it's not a good hunting area and, and it doesn't promote. Well, the, there's the, some concerns there, and, yeah. and that's one thing I know we talked about a couple yeah. of weeks ago that I want to get into yes. a little yeah. bit later. But yeah. So how, how many years have you actually been focused on hunting? I know you hunt outside the urban yeah. areas, but how, how many years have you been focused so, on hunting the urban areas? So, uh, golly, I think since 2000, since 2009. So we're coming up on... Almost ten, nine, ten, nine years. Nine years, yeah, nine, nine years. years. And, and, you know, prior to that, I hunted outside the city um, in the rural areas, which is about an hour, maybe two-hour drive. And I was a member of a hunt club and so forth. And I enjoyed that. Um, but I had a, a, a young child shortly thereafter. I started hunting. And so that started to cut into the time. So taking off, I, I wouldn't be able to hunt as frequently as I wanted if I have to drive two hours. I might be able to go, you know, one weekend every month. Sure. Um, being able to hunt in the air, in, in an urban area, I could almost go right after work, you know, pretty much every day. Um, and it's not it's like it's not like a more rural area where you've got you know landowners with a lot of property. They've no. probably had bad experience with experiences hunters. with hunters, hunters in the past, so you run across a lot of no trespassing sign. I imagine you probably get some strange looks from people about hunting. You want to hunt here? <laughs> true, true. I, I will tell you, if there's a, a sustainable patch of woods anywhere, there's game in it, uh, in an urban area. If there's, if, if you know, some of the areas that I hunt are maybe a quarter acre. Now, what happens is the property owner, um, so what I will do is I will make contact with three or four of the property uh, um, owners who own that property right, and, and get permission from each of them. So I have a little bit. Uh, you got a cushion, air, little, right. little cushion there, and then I generally look for properties that have a drainage. It's either, it's either an easement somewhere where 
the deer have a, a an opportunity for them to 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 uh, to sustain themselves. And so I'm and in those in in some of the urban I'm hunting mainly corridors. They're going to pass through. They're just sure. passing through. Um, every once in a while, like the area that I hunted um, since 2009, um, some of the lots in there were two and three acre lots. So it was largely, even though there were homes, it was a, a cul-de-sac community, an older community. Right. Um, I, I got an opportunity to meet everybody in the community. So they knew who I was. Um, and so they knew if they saw me cutting through the yard, I was deer hunting. But in that area, I could find a food source. If there were a couple of white oaks or whatever, or a muscadine or, you know, I had a food source. But most of the time, I'm hunting corridors. Um, somewhere you, where the deer are coming through. Do you find it ever a challenge that uh, the food sources, outside of acorns dropping or musk, I mean, you would think there would be a lot of uh, gardens and things oh, like that. Uh, that uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's, that's competing for their attention. <laughs> the gardens are. Now, I'll tell you, some of the areas, um, so where I hunt, um, at least most of the areas that I've gotten permission to hunt, run very close to waterways. So one of our major waterways is the Chattahoochee River. Right. Um, so within a three mile, three to four miles off of that Chattahoochee River, you're going to have deer. Whether they're cutting through subdivisions or so forth, there's a good population of deer through those. And then there's the, you know, the little creeks that run off. Mm-hmm. So um, th- there's a good population of deer in, in the metro. Well, and almost it, too many. And I've never, I've never. I haven't the areas that you're talking about hunting. I actually avoid at all costs personally because I hate being I hate being downtown. But I can tell you the largest deer I've ever seen since I moved to Georgia in '98 was on the Chattahoochee River. It was on Army Corps of Engineer land, but I was fly fishing and just happened to look up and was like, it was one of those moments where you just stop and stare. I mean, it was an absolute monster. Yeah. But I've seen some of the ones you killed and yeah, been, they're there. They're, there's some big ones. I mean, I think we're fortunate in that we don't, they, they aren't pressured. Now, it's become very popular. So there are a lot more hunters in the woods now, um, but they aren't pressured. Even the in guns. the urban areas? Really? There's, there's a huge... Um, there are a couple guys that I know. Uh, they actually do filming on YouTube, suburban, suburban mm-hmm. whitetail or whatever. I got you. Uh, some guys that I know locally. Um, they've pretty much got most of the northern part of uh, the the suburban area locked down. They've they've got it. They have access to areas that most everybody couldn't get in. Um, you know, some of these areas are very affluent. I mean, belong to Chattahoochee, but they're mansions. Unless you know how to get in there or know somebody, you know, they're not they're not accessible to the to everybody. Um, so those guys have those areas locked down, um, but they aren't pressured. Um, the deer aren't pressured. They're, they're no gun hunters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and the little lady down the street, she's feeding them, you know, they're eating from her garden or eating corn off her patty or something. So, you know, they tend to be. And I do want to come back to, or I'm going to try to remember to come back to that aspect of it. But before we get too far into that, so you did mention, um, somewhat about how you go about uh, you know locating properties now do you are you are you still always actively looking for additional properties i, I, I am and sometimes i found that I, I i found more i have more properties to hunt on than i have time to hunt on them so i've got That's a good problem to have yeah i've gotten permission i just haven't hunted them it, it just you know you, you have the spots that become um uh easily accessible and i say easy accessible but convenient mm-hmm. um and so it's convenient. I know they're there. Um, 
it's just convenient. And so it's easier to get there because one of the down things in the metro area is traffic. We have a lot of traffic. So uh, say I got off work at four o'clock. I want to be in the woods by at five. I want to be in my stand at five. So I've got to decide, do I go here or do I go there? Right. Because of traffic. And yep. so you end up going to those spots most often. Um, but how I go about doing it is first, any piece of property, uh, I will look, if I'm driving down the road and an area looks suitable, it looks like there's, I'll go up on Google map to see how the, see how large the, uh, you know, what the terrain looks like. Then I'll go back to, I will look on the tax assessor's map to see the size of the property. And once I have that, then I, with that, I also have a property owner's name. I was going to say, and then you also know the property, property owner. owner. And then I either look them up. Most of the time, I will go in person, um, let them know who I am. I think being a trad hunter, um, there's something about trad hunters I think that people don't feel as intimidated by. Um, and and I explain to them that I'm not here to, you know, I'm not going to damage their property. I'm going to respect their property. I'm here to, you know, hunt. I'll actually offer the first game that I get to them if they want game and I'll process it and, and, and provide the game to them for the opportunity to hunt on the land. Well, that makes sense. And so, um, but, but so what I do is I do that. The other thing I'll do, um, and I've had some good luck is I look for properties for sale. If I'm riding down the road and I see, you know, it says a uh, five acre track for sale, five acre track for lease. I'll call the management company and see if they'll give me permission. Um, I've created a whole harmless agreement and, and Georgia, um, and I can't remember, I think it's code title 32, I think, but it's a code section that relieves the property owner of liability if they allow a person to hunt on it. And so I print that on the bottom of my whole, my whole, my whole harmless agreement and I provide that to them and I said, you know, and, and it releases them a liability Sure. and I give them the code section that, that, that actually explains that to them, that they're released from liability of me hunting on Is that something you'd be willing to share? I would. Okay. I would. Well, I would. And I'll, I'll throw I've that in the, copy down the car. I'll I, throw that in the show notes with the, yep. the episode. People yep. have that. Yep. So do you, um, I had a question and it just slipped my mind. Do you, do you ever run into, um, so obviously you do your homework. Mm-hmm. And this is one thing that has actually come up with me before because I've studied property, you know, the tax maps and so forth. And do you ever get a um, uh, a feeling that the, the property owner feels kind of creeped out that you've tracked them down by doing all this research before you show up? Or no, do they, well, are they no, pretty? No, I, knock, I go knock on the door and ask them. So I, I, I don't necessarily let, the, necessarily let them know I've done all the research okay. until after. So I, I engage them in conversation, let them know who I am. Um, you know, because here's the concern. A property owner will tell you, yes, you can cut hunt my property. Okay. However, they own a, a quarter acre lot that sits adjacent to a county easement. Well, the county's not going to give you authorization to hunt their easement. Right. And so their property line butts right up to the easement. And so when you look at the, you go back and you pull the plot on it, you see that their lawn where the tree line starts is the end of their property line. I won't, I won't hunt that. Right. Um, I also won't hunt without this, a, a signature on a whole harmless agreement. Just an okay, you can hunt here. I, 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 I don't do that because um, I have seen it backfire on a few people in the past sure. for whatever reason. So um, even if I call a, um, a leasing company, I mean, I've had that happen. I know there are huge deer on this property. He says, oh, I don't care if you can hunt it. You can go hunt on it, but I'm not going to sign a release. I'll just let it go. Right. It's, just it's not, not worth, worth it. the risk. It's not worth it. Right. It's not worth it. 
and, and with my occupation, I can't afford and I, that easily. And I don't want to go into go your to occupation, yes, yes, yes. but I, I, I did want to ask you that, you know, I know that um, – and in Atlanta, you're you're going to spend a lot of time driving, and a lot of times, you're you're having to take alternate routes, not at your choice. So you, if you spend any amount of time behind the wheel, I'm I'm guessing you do identify some of these properties just because of your your day to day job, and you're my, out there anyway. Yes, right. my, so that that helps. And actually, a lot of times, so if I'm flying, when you fly into Atlanta. You come over, you, there are landmarks that you can recognize within the city. Absolutely. And so right off of that, I recognize a landmark. I see the east, west, or north, and then I'll go back out and I'll drive. <laughs> and that's helped me too. Well, and, and obviously, we're, neither one of us are attorneys, or yeah, we, yeah. Would, we would probably not be taking time to do podcasts. Yes. We'd be hunting somewhere in the world. But <laughs> you mentioned the, the easement, and they're not going to give you permission to hunt. Are there... Are there? Um, do you know what the laws are around if you shot an animal that that then went onto that easement property? Are you allowed to go retrieve it? And obviously, this would be different in each yeah, so, statement. Uh, Just wondered if you'd I, ever looked that up. You know, I've spoken to, to to some DNR rangers. They say yes, you can go on it. Um, I've heard some other people who are not DNR says you can't. Um, it's just one of those things that you find out who your local. DNR uh, ranger is and find out from him what he, and that's what I would do because it, it kind of varies. Um, and build a relationship build with a relationship him so that if them. you do run into a, a, a problem, Probably you can pick that. up you a phone go, call. Exactly. Right. And it's just a phone call. Um, and another thing too is some of the areas around here, and I'll just mention Cobb County, for example. Cobb County allows, they have a program um, th- um, through all their county parks. Uh, actually one of their county parks and they actually open that property up to hunt every year um you register with the county um and it's I believe it's the second weekend in july um you register you get a number you go online and say the first 300 people that sign up boom you're locked in i think it's maybe 15 dollars. you go down for a briefing and then you can hunt in that area um and it's it's the northern part of cobb but you can hunt that park area um, uh, September, October, I think, uh, sun up to 11 mm-hmm. or sun up to 9. And then um, the latter part of the year, you can hunt it all day during, uh, I think, November and December. And then back in January, it goes back to sun up. Well, uh, that's similar to what they do on the Lake Lanier Islands with okay. the uh, Army Corps of Engineers. Engineers. You can yeah. actually go apply. I've never had any success yeah. with it, yeah. but you can do it. Yeah. I, I've done the Cobb County, but again, it's a drive for me from where I am, and I've got there less than a mile from the house. So, You mentioned the um, finding the, the properties for sale or for lease and contacting. Did they ever, well, two, I guess two questions, do they ever ask or and have you ever offered to actually pay uh, any kind of lease to hunt the property? Or you- I will offer that if they suggest it. Okay. But most of the time, you know, I have not had any, um, trying to think. I haven't had anybody ask. I, I Most of the time they don't have at it. Because I, I can tell you, and again, I don't, I don't spend a lot of time downtown Atlanta. I'm, I'm, I'm a country boy. Yeah, I, yeah. I do. I try to avoid it at all costs, but <laughs> I know even in you know areas which I'm 45 minutes or so north of, of the city limits, 
you're constantly seeing those big properties that are for sale and i've actually looked them up on the plot mats i just never took the time to call and yep. maybe i just need to call because yep. a lot of times it's it's an llc that yep. owns the property yep. and i you know they probably don't care sure. and another another area that i uh, uh, uh locations that i get churches own large parcels of property especially in the metro area and i will often reach out to the pastors really um, I think of three, three churches that I have right now that some of them, they're, per, they're properties that they purchased to, um, to build on sure. that they never have. But they still own and the they property. And they let me hunt it. They still own the property and let me hunt it. Very so I, interesting. I, I, yeah, one of them, it's huge. Well, two of them, pretty large parcels. Um, and, and so the one parcel from one of the churches, um, I just, I got permission from the church, but there's not an easy access. So I went and knocked on a door on a property owner whose property sits adjacent to it. And, and actually how I found out about it was I went to the property owner and asked them. They said, well, you know, the church owns it. So I went to the pastor, presented a whole harmless agreement. She gave me permission. I went back to the property owner to ask if I could park here and ask. Just, just have access that. trespass. That's yeah. it. That's it. And so, um, and I've been, I've, been, I've been very, very fortunate in that in, with, the, with churches. Very interesting to say that. That's another thing I wouldn't even have thought <laughs> yeah, about it. Yeah. So, so if if you look at it, and I'm not sure how I want to ask this question because I know you've mentioned that sometimes you 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 actually get permission to hunt a group of individual properties. But what would you say the average size is for, or maybe you've got a, a minimum size that you have to get permission to to hunt? Or well, any don't, idea? I, I don't have a minimum. If uh, if the property, if it looks good or if I've seen a good buck on a property or it looks like it could sustain it. I mean, there's some areas you'll find that, you know, a quarter acre lot and you'll see a big buck on it or see a deer there, you know, and then you walk it and you realize there really is nothing here that it's just this area. Then I'm, I mean, I don't mind letting a big buck go. It, it's it, for me, it's more about can I get into an area where I can experience the hunt? It's it's not the kill that excite me um because i'll tell you there's there are areas that i get in and i have i have been this, my area this one area that i lost i had it for nine years and it's now a subdivision but it was my little country in the city <laughs> i would get in there and there are two major highways that that that, that intersect so i'm right in a in a quadrant of this neighborhood was in a quadrant of two highways and there were times I would sit in there and I couldn't hear any vehicles. I could hear the crickets. I could hear a beetle walking on the leaves. Wow. You just drowned out. It, it just, you, you felt like, you know, I mean, I had hawks come in. Um, I had a, it was, it was interesting. I had a, a hawk come down and grab a squirrel. My first buck came up and kind of ignored the hawk, walked on. The second younger buck came up and he and the hawk had a standoff. And it was just the neatest thing. Or you see a somebody's feral cat, or I see a feral cat come in. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing, and the buck and the cat are having a standoff, you know, <laughs> or a fox or whatever. But this little area was just the neatest little area, and you could dr- almost drown out the car noise. It took a while to do that, sure, because sure. even when I hunted out in the country and in the distance, you hear a lawnmower that would irritate me. Right, and so you just had. I just had to learn to drown it out, and now I just don't. I got. You know, 
I, and I've got so many questions just racing through my head. So um, I'm gonna come back to I'm gonna go back to one that I started to ask you earlier because if I don't, I'm gonna yeah, get yeah. it all together. But not uh, I've known you I've known you a while. Yep. yep and yep. and I know you've been successful in a lot of different scenarios. So this is not a well you're you're not much of a hunter because but I got to ask okay, a question. Please. Do you see a um, do you see a difference in deer behavior and awareness in these urban environments obviously they've got a tolerance for people but i have my suspicions of how far that goes and i really want to know from you yes and, and i've had this discussion i have some colleagues who are some friends who hunt there and they think that the deer tend to be more aware in an urban area um but i've also been out in a rural area and had my jacket just scratch on the back of a tree and they were out of there um i think the the deer in the urban area if you ignore them they ignore you but the minute they sense that they are being targeted being targeted or they're prey and you don't have i mean you can if you're walking down the street you can be i mean you know i've seen sitting in the tree seeing a, a, a deer and neighbors walk by or, or, you know, in a peripheral, see them walk by and the deer, or I've been close to the street and see them walk by and they don't pay them attention. But if they stop and look over, the deer realize that that predator prey yep. and they're out of there. Um, I think you might get away easier in an urban area with scent. I don't know if scent has the same effect on them as you do in... Uh, in a rural area, yeah, and it's, it's one of those things. How would you? How would you ever? I mean, from a yeah. from a from their ability to smell, yeah. There's no doubt a, a buck knows if someone is on their deck, mm-hmm. in their yard, or if they're in the, in woods. the woods. They they, they know, know that. They know. They know. But you have to also know they they're intruded upon all the time, and it just becomes a way of life. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's the reason I was asking. I mean, I I can definitely see that. If they feel like they're being targeted, yeah, they're, they're going to go on alert. But, but I'll, I'll tell you, there's an area that I have um, in, in the metro area. It's about uh, 400 acres. Okay? It's 400 acres. Um, the deer could be 200 yards away, 300 yards away. If you're in your vehicle and you stop, they get out of there. Now, this area... Um, it's government property. I do have access to it. Um, like I said, it's 400 acres. Um, and there is, uh, there are operations going on the property. Um, but if you stop, if they even have an inkling, I mean, the deer could be 300 yards away and you're looking at it. If you stop, they'll bolt. Well, then that's just proof that they learn how to pattern us just like we try to pattern them because they know what's normal and what's What's not. not. If you keep driving, they they keep minding their own business. But the minute you stop, they're out of there. They don't. And to me, those hunting that area, I feel like I'm hunting out in the country because they, they don't, they, they, they won't, they won't stick around. They, and and they're not hunted. I mean, there's, there are a few hunters that that have access to that area. Well, and that, not, there's no heavy pressure in there. And I, uh, and again, I want to clarify: I'm not insulting your capabilities because I know you've gone to public land hunts with no preparation yeah, whatsoever yeah, yeah, yeah. with a group of people and been yeah. successful. Yeah. I, I know you know how to hunt. The 
and here's the only thing I can equate that to. Uh, you know, I well, I grew up on a, a farm, and you know, the deer knew we were, but they knew when you when things is kind of like that. They they would tolerate equipment. They knew our patterns, but as soon as you deviated from that, that. they knew. Um, I'm used to. I would still say up until last year, eighty or ninety percent of my hunting was public land. Um, I, I have started hunting a little bit of private land now, but it's still very heavy. I spend a lot more time on public land and there is a drastic difference between, you know, hunting, hunting deer on a public, a WMA, which is mostly what I hunt. They, they learn very quick and they, they get wise very quick. Um, but I've got a, a, a piece of property that I hunt down south of the city in Monroe County. And the first year I hunted it. I even joked with the guy who was hunting it with me. It was me and another guy. It's just 100 acres. And I said, these deer are stupid compared to what I'm used to because you can get away with it. We can go away with anything. Yep. Yep. Never say that yeah. because they'll prove you wrong. <laughs> and and I, I've got I've got video where I had deer come up and chewing on my gear rope. Yep, yep. I've got, you know, they were in front of me where their one of them stuck its head in a stump. And I still hadn't figured out what it was looking for in there. But, you know, I got all this on video and I'm thinking, these animals are just, this is a cakewalk. Yep. Later in the season, uh, I, I realized, one, that those were younger deer. I mean, you could tell they were small, small. but and they were truly younger deer. It wasn't just their size. I had a doe. One of the stands that I had was, it was thick, really thick woods. Looking over 200 yards away was a, a cow pasture. And I'm sitting there one morning, and I watched a, a doe, a group of does and some yearlings walk out into this field and i thought well i'm gonna get i'm gonna get a picture of them you know i stood up in my stand 200 yards away in thick woods and as soon as i went to raise up i mean i didn't barely got my butt off the seat and the the oldest doe locked in on me and i froze and tried to just think you know well she'll give up never did she started stomping and blowing 200 yards away and she knew and i was sitting there going the first thing that came to mind was how many deer have you not seen because you got complacent that they were going to tolerate you and you never saw them. It, it, they, they wise up quick. Yep. Well, I had a buddy, um, it was a pretty tragic year. He lost, we, we actually lost one of our friends out of a tree stand. He uh, didn't wear his harness and, um, they found, they went back to get him and he was laying fat face down on the ground. Oh. Um, and then he lost his son. So it was a pretty tragic year for him, and um, he spent a lot of time in the woods, um, you know, um, trying to reflect. Um, and and but one of the things he noticed that year was um, in this area he had maybe two hundred acre, two hundred acre lot, but the uh, this doe would pick him out just like you said, two hundred yards away. Every time she'd come in, and the first thing she'd do she'd look up there to see if he was there. And so I think they will pattern you. Um, I, you know, I, I, as I, when I became a, a traditional hunter, I changed the way I hunted. As far as I try to be as scent-free as I can. Um, um, I try to, um, I mean, um, all my stand placements are such kind of, I think I follow the old Byron Ferguson or I think he mentioned it in one of his books might've been a, um, um, Simmons mm -hmm. method. Sure. It was always hunt 
put your place your stand above the lowest branch. Yeah, you've you've talked to me about and that so before. I, I always do. There's always a branch or something below me or a tree to give me cover, so that when they look up, they don't see. Right. And so I, I try to place all my stands like that. Um, I've just been more more aware because they will they will pick you they'll pattern you and uh, uh, they won't come in there they would just they, they, they'll they'll hang up they'll hang up right outside of that or they'll come in after hours right know, after, and, after good light hours and I've got a bit of a different we we've talked I think we've talked about this with maybe me and Nick or some other guests but I've got a little bit of a different approach on scent um, I accepted a long time ago. I'm not going to fool the deer. If he's downwind, he's, he's going to smell me. Smoke. It doesn't yeah, matter. Exactly right. You're exactly and right. people can talk about all, and I'm not even going to go into products. There's tons of products out there to, to eliminate scent, and I think it's a fallacy. I don't think you can eliminate your scent to the point where a whitetail that's downwind of you will not smell you. But what I strive really hard to do as much as I can, you can hang it up early archery season here. You're going to sweat. It doesn't matter that what doesn't you matter. do. Yep. And as soon as you sweat, there's going to be odor, but I try my best to minimize what I refer to as residual odor. I, I don't want it hanging around in the woods after I've left any longer than absolutely necessary. So, so my human scent, they're going to smell that. Right. But for example, I don't wear, I'm not going to go into the Waffle House. And, and I used to do that when I was a rifle hunter. You know, before we'd go, we'd stop at the Waffle House. We'd eat breakfast. We'd walk on getting our stand, you know. And I never thought about scent control. So I won't wear my boots. For example, I wear rubber, I wear rubber boots. Up in the mountains, it's probably difficult to wear rubber boots up there a lot, though, isn't it? Uh, I have done so in the past. Well, I'll talk about that in okay. a minute, but I'm, I'm probably done with yeah. rubber boots. Yeah. I mean, it's tough, especially in that terrain. Um, but I'm not going to walk and go pump gas with my boots on. Right. You know, that's the scent, that, 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 that uh, artificial scent or whatever. If they smell me, they're going to smell me. But I don't bring introduce any other foreign scent other than my body scent, or at least I do my best. I'm like you. I don't um, – hunting products, it's a waste of money, I think. I mean, if, if it helps you. If it helps your if confidence, helps, I say all for it. Yeah, if it helps it. you sit still um, an extra but, hour. But I, but I can't say that any hunting product has – you know, I, I, well, let me say, I can't say – now, they might have picked me up earlier, but I can't say – that I benefited from any product that I used. Yeah, and I agree. You, you I, but know what I mean? I can't. I do. But I'll um, agree with you. If it, if it helps your, if yeah. it somehow increases your confidence and is going to allow you to yeah. stay put, then I think it ups your chances. Ups your chances. And if I've been busted, it was because of something I did. Right. <laughs> you know, um, now I have, I have used scents before, you know, uh, doing heat scent and had them come in. Matter of fact, it's funny. I had a, last year I used, I don't know, I thought, I thought, oh, I'll try this, uh, this buck set, whatever, this lure or whatever sure. it was. And I walk in. Here comes this buck. He's strolling. He stopped in his steps, back, step, backed around, backed up, went all the way around and circled all around me. And he stopped. He stopped exactly where I walked in. That scent just alerted him. And mm-hmm. I thought, that was kind of dumb. You know, it was, it was a foreign scent for whatever it was. It was a foreign scent for him. And it just didn't work so well, I, I have been busted like that <laughs> and i've got a theory on the foreign sense as well i'll go a little bit further than you yeah. um i don't think i honestly don't think whitetail spook now they might they might become a little bit more aware mm-hmm. they might even be curious mm-hmm. 
to, but I think what, what sends a flag up and the deer is gone is the human odor. Everything else I think is ancillary. I, I honestly don't. And I say this because I've, I've known some people that have done some very strange things and they were always successful. Smoke, smokers, smoking on stand. <laughs> I, I, Urinate off a stand. The guys do that all, the, all day long. I know a guy that every year he will take his stands and he cleans them in gasoline before he carries them out to the woods and he kills deer. Yeah, now, yeah, I'm yeah. not going to do that, but I'm just saying, <laughs> yeah. I think from a from an alert, a full alert in-flight perspective, Basically. I think it's the human odor the more than anything the- else. I don't think it's the, the Waffle House smell. Yeah. I don't think it's the... And I'm doing some things differently this year. I've got... Um, so I keep all of my clothes... I used to keep them in the airtight containers. Yeah, I've stopped yeah. doing that. I've got an old Army footlocker mm-hmm. that basically a closet now that and it's fairly tight but it's not airtight but i keep um cedar shavings in it yep, i've got some uh, a buddy of mine made some port orford cedar soap and i actually keep the sub bars of soap in there yep. and stuff like yep. that yep. I, I, I if they smell something they're going to smell me well, and well, then the well, game's you're, you're over exactly anyway. right how many of us during the early season will use a thermosel oh all the time you have to or you're going to and do we think they don't smell it, <laughs> right? So you're you're right. You're right to a degree. It's just it's just is it is it a smell that alerts them to something that's weird? I mean, I mean, is it a smell that triggers something in them? And I, right. and I, you know, um, but no, I, I I can't say that I have been. Uh, you know, most of the time it was something that I did. Now, like I said, that one buck. Right, right, and it could have been the human scent. When I walked in, I, I did have my my boots were in the back of the car, something, something, or my, you know, some maybe my human scent was on there, but something alerted that one buck. But then again, I've had him walk right under my tree, mm-hmm. and I mean, I've got videos of him walking under my tree and they didn't alert. Well, you know, and so. y- you mentioned rubber boots, uh, and I I do some again. Most of this is on public land. I do I do some strange things that I think. I won't say strange. I put a lot of thought into certain things that I don't think a lot of people do. Um, wherever possible, if I've got a long walk to a stand, I, I always consider wind. That's first and foremost. Um, but I also consider terrain and how I'm going to get there and how can I get to the spot I want to get with the least likelihood that I'm going to be seen, whether that's a valley, whatever that may be. But most, a lot of times it'll coincide with if it's a valley, there's a drainage, there's a creek. And I'll actually use the creek. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I've decided to do this year, I'm planning on going into the year with enough stand locations that I'm not planning on the, the I don't plan on hunting a stand more frequently than once every three to four weeks, probably closer to 30 days. So most of the stands I have, I'll only get to hunt them two or three times the whole season. And I'm going back to my my leather, but I'm I'm tired of wearing boots that just I get so hot just from the rubber boots on my feet that I'm sweating before I get out of the truck good. And I don't know that I think it is definitely helping if you're going to return to a stand repeatedly. I'm not planning on doing that anymore. I'm I'm uh, Jason Sam Kowiak. I think you know who he is, but um, you know, that's one of the things that he brought up and it's funny cause he brought it up in his latest scouting video and I'd pretty much convinced myself at the end of the last year, that's what I was going to do if I could. The challenge that I have with that in Georgia is a lot of the public land that I hunt, once archery season's over, it's the managed hunts. It's three and four day hunts. So I'm either going to have to start hunting more on like national forest land 
or just find another option because I, I just don't have that much private land. I'll, yeah. I'll consume that in a, in a week. So, But well, one of the things I wanted to start doing this year was doing more of those hunts on WMAs. Um, one of the things you lose in hunting the air in, in, in the urban areas is woodsmanship. Um, because you don't have to practice that much woodsmanship. You're walking at the most two, 300 yards from your, from your truck. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's the downside with hunting. If you stick strictly to an urban, urban area is you lose that sense of, of woodsmanship. Um, and so that this year I want to do more on WMAs and reading terrain and, and going back to doing that. Well, and that's a good segue on what, uh, something that I want to get into with you, but this is a, a real good time to take a quick break for our passing down tradition segment. And then we'll come back to that. This week on Passing Down Traditions, I'm joined by my friend and fellow BHA member, Chad Richard. I was speaking to Chad uh, earlier this week, and uh, he wanted to get on here and spend just a little bit of time talking about BHA. It's It's no surprise to anyone that listens to this podcast that knows I'm a huge fan of BHA. And uh, Chad wanted to get on here and talk a little bit about our, our southeastern chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. So welcome, Chad. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. I appreciate the opportunity to speak to you today. Thank you, Steve. Sure thing, buddy. Glad to have you on the show. So, Chad, I guess just jump in and explain to our listeners what the southeast chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers is all about. Yeah, sure will. So the southeastern chapter of BHA was stood up last April 2017. So the chapter is fairly young. However, uh, we think that we've made a lot of progress and we're very proud of what we accomplished in a short amount of time. Uh, Just for some little background, uh, it took about a year to stand up the chapter. So it was a fair investment of time for us to get behind the scenes. Uh, I think there were 15 folks that that raised their hand and said, we want to be a part of getting this chapter going. And uh, we're willing to take the initiative and the resources, our own volunteer time, to get it stood up. So we represent seven states in the southeast, Tennessee, Georgia, Florida, Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, and Arkansas is our region. So we're very proud to say we have a very large, broad southeastern reach, um, which does add some complexity at times. But I will say that uh, the wealth of, of board resources and our membership, uh, we're extremely proud of the folks that we interact with on a daily basis. Well, and I'll tell you, Chad, I participate quite a bit, as you know, in the um, in the Facebook group for the Southeast chapter. And uh, there's some really good folks in there. I know uh, uh, Andrew Maxwell from the Southern Outdoorsman podcast um, spends a good bit of time in there. Um, yourself, I know you and I chat quite a bit in there back and forth. And uh, let's see, there's Joey Bell. I mean, there's some really, there's some really good folks in there. And there's, I think there's like two or three different podcasts that come out of folks just within that Southeastern uh, group. Yeah, that's very accurate. Andrew Maxwell is the state chair uh, for Alabama. He's, he's a young fella. We're, we're very proud of his leadership and also proud of, of how accomplished he is for such being such a young man. He's very mature. We enjoy conversing with him. Um, yeah, I can't speak highly enough uh, of our membership. And then, you know, our board itself has become, we've become a very tight knit unit. And um, I'll say that the reason it's been that way is because we've gone through a lot of adversity and spent a lot of time trying to develop a, a solid strategy to uh, make this chapter important to people 
and uh, stand up for what we believe in. And if you don't know, BHA's primary message is keep public lands in public hands. And, and we all are, are public land advocates. And that can be seen on, on many different levels. I would say more than half the board is, has hunted out west on public lands. And I think that all of our board spends time on public lands in the southeast. And, and don't, just, don't just think those have to be federally managed lands. Those can be state-owned lands as well. And so that's another thing that's a little bit different about the southeast is you have ne- numerous state-managed lands, such as WMAs, that, that we value just as much as BLM lands out west. I agree a hundred percent, and I know that's um, that's always a, an argument that that you see quite a bit when the the public lands discussion comes up, or at least I have. Where uh, you know we're pretty lucky in the southeast that that a lot of our states actually do a really good job of managing uh, state lands. Now, I know in Georgia, a lot of the the wildlife management agent uh, wildlife management area, excuse me, are are uh, are part of national forests, but still. I think in the Southeast, we primarily do a lot better because there, there tends to be a lot more, well, there's higher population, which in turn leads to more taxes. So there's more money, but some of these Western states, if, you know, if some of these large chunks of land in the Western states were to revert back to the state, the state would have no way to, to keep them up. They wouldn't have the money. They would end up having to sell them and they would go back into to private hands. So um, it's a, it's a fight for everyone. It's not, it's not just state by state. Yeah, and that's a very good, clear example. And we do think that a lot of states do not have the budget to take over the stewardship and the proper land management of several national forests or national wildlife refuges. So we kind of started an initiative right after Ronde 2018 to, to talk about my backcountry. So it's the hashtag my backcountry. And uh, I think it's been a good move for us, and it's highlighting how different the Southeast is from other regions. And we're not saying that ours is better. Although we're very proud of what we have, we enjoy what we have, but we want to highlight it in a fashion such that people think about it a little bit differently. Because if you're on a WMA in Central Florida uh, and you, you really enjoy the ecological community and the diversity of wildlife and habitat, you should be an advocate for that just as well as Mount Rushmore, just as well as Zion. Um, they're all the same to us. And to be honest with you, especially in Florida, if we didn't have the very broad and depth of resources when it comes to WMAs. I don't think the blue collar gentleman or, or, or woman, whoever it might be, child, young person would have opportunities to hunt because the cost of of private land leases continue to skyrocket. And, uh, I love our public lands. I, I duck hunt on all public lands. Um, there aren't many private areas to duck hunt on. And, um, Every year, I'm excited about the draw. It's like, all right, I'm putting in for this draw. I can't wait. I, I hope that something good comes of it. I, I hear that. I'm not. Uh, I'm not. I've got a, a coworker that wants me really badly to get into doing some duck hunting with him, and it's it's not something that's really um, attracted me much. But I'm afraid if I go once, I tend to have the type of personality that if it's something I like, then I'll you know that'll be all I can think of. So I've, I've I've avoided a little bit with him, but I know there's some uh, specific issues um, in Florida that uh, you do want to hop on here sometime and talk with me about, and I do want us to get that scheduled. But rather than spend the the little bit of time we've got planned today talking about nothing but serious stuff, I do want to mention you know that we we actually do some things to have some fun. I've I've been so busy lately, I have not had a chance to participate, but I am planning to this week. So you know the the Southeast chapter 
actually has quite a few events that they try to you know spread out all across the region. I know there's a a pint night in Chattanooga this week, uh, actually Wednesday, and then there's another one down in uh, here in Georgia uh, the following night. Kennesaw. Kennesaw, correct. And there's been there's I know there was one in Florida recently. Um, there was a hike to hunt that we we had down in I believe that was in was that in Alabama? That was in Alabama, I think. It was. It was in. It was in Gulf State Park, Alabama, and right. I would say three three quarters of our board was there, and we cranked out six and a half miles, and we had probably the best hike I've had all year because we had good friendly conversation, and then we actually had some good scientific uh, discussion from our board members about uh, land management and ecotypic eco ecological communities where we were hiking. Um, it, it sure was nice to hike with friends and like minded folk. Well, I hate, and I hate, I missed it. Normally we actually vacation, uh, usually about every other year, uh, in that area. And this year we were, we were, I think it was that the same week that, that I was on vacation, but we were on the, the Eastern coast at, uh, uh, North Myrtle, or I would, I would have loved to have actually made that, but I am heading to Chattanooga Wednesday. I'm hoping to meet, um, several of the folks that I've gotten to know, um, uh, Andrew being one of them, uh, his co-host, um, I, and I just drew a blank Jacob Myers. Jacob Myers, yes, hoping to to get to meet him. I know Joshua uh, Watts is not going to be there. I did ping him; was hoping he would make it, and a little bit far for him to drive. But uh, still, I'm get I'm looking forward to get out there and actually, you know, getting to shake some hands with some of these people because I've I've gotten to know them really well online, but haven't met them yet face to face. Yeah, I think you'll have a grand time. It's a good place to share stories. It's a good opportunity to meet people in different areas that you may choose to, to hunt with in the future. Um, it, it's opened up a pretty broad door to me to start thinking about different areas to hunt. I, I actually applied for elk in Tennessee and Kentucky this year based on recommendations from, from other board members. And uh, it's encouraged me to step out of my box a little bit. And I actually got to hunt with... Uh, Dr. Christopher Jenkins in, in Georgia for turkey season. And that was our first time ever meeting face to face. And I'll tell you, we spent two days in the woods, had a blast together. And uh, it, it really is. It's, it's one of the best communities I've ever been associated with of people that are willing to talk about hunting and fishing and what their passion is. And, and also just to participate in the conservation aspect of, of what hunting and how hunting dovetails well into the outdoor experience. Well, and that's, and I know, uh, we haven't talked uh, about this a ton, but, uh, you know, that's, that's exactly the root of what the traditional outdoors podcast is all about is, is, you know, getting outdoors for what should be most important. And that's, that's the experiences. Um, and you know, you did mention the, the hunting out of state. I've actually already, I've, I've had a couple of conversations with, uh, Andrew Maxwell on the phone and he's got, a, he's got an open invitation to come up here and, and chase some bears and some whitetails. And he's actually thinking about trying to do it this fall. And the same thing goes to you, man. We'll figure out a way to, to get out and share some stream time or some wood time somewhere. Yeah. And I appreciate that invitation. I'll open it right back up to you and say, if you want to come down to Florida and just expose yourself to certain areas, I'd be happy to show you some, some water and, and what I appreciate in my back country, which virtually is 1500 yards from the house is a, is a lake that um, I've recreated on for 12 to 13 years. And every time I go down there, I, my stress level just goes down. It, it, it's where I have a, a peaceful serenity for sure. 
Well, I will sure take you up on that, sir. Well, I I think we better wrap this up, but uh, I do want to, like I said, Chad, I do want to get you back on here to talk about the uh, the issues you're facing down in Florida from a public lands perspective. And uh, like I've I've been talking to you about, we gotta we gotta get you on the 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 show for a full episode sometime really soon. Okay. Yeah, we'll make that work for sure. I look forward to that opportunity to speak with you more. All right, Chad. Take care. We're going to get back to our regular you show. Too, Steve. Thank you. Okay. Um, so um, before we before we took a little break there, Chris, when we were talking about um, doing a little bit more hunting in, on public land and, and losing some of your woodsmanship skills by hunting the, the, the urban areas where you, you, you don't have to travel as far, maybe not as much planning. So, um, and I shouldn't say not as much planning, but not as much um, preparation. Preparation or recon, yes. So you obviously hunt both or you've hunted both yes. in the past. Give me, from your perspective, what are the things that you consider as being different with regards to tactics if you're going to hunt uh, an urban location versus, um, you know, uh, public land or, or so, large large tracts? Yeah, so with public land, I think the, one of the first things for me because oftentimes if I go to public land, I'm only there for a day or two. So right off the bat is finding a food source. I'm looking for a food source or some activity around a food source. Um, it's probably one of the first things I look at. I, I'm not, um, you know, I'll take advice on, on terrain because I'm not the best on finding using a topo, topo, a topo map to mm-hmm. find terrain. Sure. So I've actually learned a lot from you or, or just listen to some of your podcasts and some of the things you do in, in finding using a topo map. Um, but a lot of times if I go in a real area, it's get some guidance from somebody on kind of where to go. And then I start looking for food sources in the urban areas. You're looking, you're mainly hunting traffic, travel corridors and pitch points. Cause that's all there is. And I imagine the so pinch points are pretty drastic. drastic. I mean, they're, they just, oh, yeah. yeah, it's, it's like your middle of a five point somewhere. Right. Know? Um, and, and you can tell there's definite activity. I mean, it's, it's a highway. And so that, and, and, but you might be just limited to that. You might have to hunt just that spot because you go 200 yards or hundred yards this way or hundred yards, you're off the property line. Right. So that, that's kind of, that, that's the difference. And that's I don't want to, and I don't want to belittle it in any yeah, way, but yeah. I imagine that kind of thing can probably get a little stale or it gets old. boring it gets, it at gets times. Old. Right. Yeah. It gets old until that, and until that big eight until point the shows big up. One comes up. It, <laughs> but, but, you know, again, it comes back to, um, like I said, so, sometimes for me, um, it's to get off work and that just to go sit in the tree stand. There is no, I have not, I don't even know if a deer is going to come by. I'm not, I'm not, I'm going strictly to meditate and I just have to have my bow in my hand. Sure. And, and so that's what it is that, that a lot of times when I've been fortunate, um, I remember, um, I took a, a nice buck, 2000. 2015 um it was in november it's actually um it was in the the um traditional bow hunters magazine sterling holbert wrote, wrote a story about it in in nova in this last previous magazine an okay. article on the back um that buck i had the oh it was it had been a long week um busy at work long days um i was getting ready to leave the country um for thanksgiving and uh, I thought Friday afternoon, I'm flying out Saturday morning. I'm going to go sit in the street stand 
and just watch the sunset set. And right at dusk, I mean, almost right before late dark, all I saw was bone coming through. And I thought, no way. And he came out about uh, 11 yards, 12 yards out, which is perfect for me. And I put an arrow in him, and he ran 30 yards and just flopped over. And I thought, wow. It, it just, it, everything was perfect. It was, my, you know, it was going to be my last hunt until I got back sometime in December. Right. Um, but I, I had, you know, I had no idea. I, I just planned, I took my bow with me just to have that feeling, you know. I, I enjoy, there's something about sitting in a tree with a bow in your hand. You know, I've even thought about going to sit in a tree with my camera. Mm-hmm. It's just not the same. Right. Even if right. I have no desire to shoot anything. Something with that bow in my hand puts me in that predator mode, and I'm on I'm on alert, you know. Um, but a lot of times, that's what it is. It's I'm going just to kind of get that uh, to relax, to meditate for a little bit, you know. And, and oftentimes, I do see a, you know, that's the other thing. I'll see a buck and go, you know, I've got to go to work in the morning. If I shoot one, that means I'm out late. I'll just let him walk. Well, I tell you what, <laughs> you you mentioned the the the, the different tactics of, of hunting the public land, and I want I want to dive into that just a little bit, but. I'll make a deal with you. I'll be happy to carry you out. We'll do all kinds of scouting and hunting on public land if you if you'll give if you'll do the same for I, me. I, 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 I want you to come. I want you to come and and uh, there's, there's a couple there's a spot actually I want you to come because you okay. you're gonna love it. I mean, right. um, nobody was allowed. I hunted turkey on it this year and didn't I didn't uh, didn't get one. This year was the first year. Um, that uh, in the last couple of years that I hadn't got a turkey on it. Well, you got a you got a deal um, on that. But the deer out there are so bad, you f- it, it, it's ridiculous. Really, They're just it's ridiculous. You'll drive in a field and you see, you know, thirteen deer, and you go down to the next pasture and there's another, you know, five deer, and you go to the next pasture and there's it, it's it, we, for whatever reason that we weren't allowed to hunt it last year. Um, I did get permission again to hunt it for turkey season. I'm thinking they're going to allow me to hunt it for uh, for deer season, and so I'll, I'll bring you in. I, I've only taken does off that property. I've seen. I've seen some monsters on it though, but I've not taken any off of there. Well, we'll um, we'll we'll trade a <laughs> we'll spend a weekend. We'll trade a day of scouting on each or something. Oh, so, yeah. And then oh we'll, yeah, that'd be we'll awesome. Plan on that'd be awesome. I was going to say, you know, you know, uh, RC and Chris Bikes and Warren Womack, and those I actually those would. Are woodsmen. Those I are woodsmen. I, I would love to spend a day with any of those three. You know, they're they're. Um, food targeting approach and i've had several conversations with warren and i i try to i try to do that um but i'll tell you on on like most of the public land i hunt you're talking about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of oak trees and if you find one dropping you're going to find more dropping and i know warren will actually walk until he finds an active feed tree yeah, yeah or rc's the same way and, spikes, and rc yeah, and, and spikes, oh, yeah, yeah they're all they all three follow the same method and, and the only time I can tell you right now, the only time I've ever found an active feed tree was trailing a, a buck that I'd hit at you know midnight with a flashlight, and never made it back to it. It's telling the season, but but regardless, um, I want to learn how to do that yeah, a little bit better. Th- those guys. So so I I, I joke all the time that uh, I want to go and have RC kind of tutor me for for a week. And right. spent a week with him. Actually, I was going to try to do that uh, this year, but we've got some other things coming up because um, he knows, I mean, the guy's phenomenal. The difference for you, though, is uh, the terrain. Oh, absolutely. They can do that with you 
it, it, it'd be uh, it's just your mountains versus exactly southern and, Georgia. It's a and whole the, lot and the flip yeah. side of that is they would have a hard time actually. You can do it because I've done it, but they would have a hard time hunting terrain features like on a topo because it's flat. flat. It's all flat. Um, but what I have, and you've heard this, I, I don't want to repeat too much, but I've gotten, I've gotten really good at being able to look at a topo map and I can, I can almost guarantee you that I could sit down here and do it. When you pick a property, I can look at that topo map and I can say, if we go right here, you're going to see a heck of a travel corridor. Yep. Um, and that comes down to the pinch points and so forth too. And I, a lot of the scouting I do is before I ever set in the woods because I'm looking at predominant winds for that area, looking at the terrain, um, uh, getting a good idea for when, based on what I see, when should I expect deer to be traveling through that area and on, you know, what winds would they be using, where I could set. And it's, you know, I'm not, I'm nowhere near saying I'm some kind of uh, 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 Dan Infault hunting beast kill every, I mean, no, I'm a long way from that. But I see deer consistently. I've spent very few days in the stand that I do not see an well, animal. There was something, I think it might have been your first or second podcast, and you were talking about terrain features and using the wind. And I think, I can't remember, one of your buddies, you took him hunting, and you said, okay, when you get here, this is where you need to go. Check your prevailing wind. You're going to have a wind here, but the wind's going to change when it gets here. And I thought, wow, keeping notes like that yep. um, is probably the neatest thing. You, you don't, again, what I was saying about losing woodsmanship, you don't do that in a, in a because oftentimes in an urban area, um, you have a few selection of trees where you're going to set up. That's it. Um, you know, it's like uh, hunting off the ground. Um, the one area I, w- I want to take you, we can hunt off the ground there. Because right. it's, it's, you know, that's, but uh, in these acres where it is a one acre lot. Right. Yeah. You, 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 yeah. There's, there's, yeah. You just, just, the only way to hunt those is from a tree stand. I, I get chastised some, somewhat from my buddies out west and they go god you tree stand hunters what are you gonna do you know one of the other guys why don't you stalk turkey i'm like i don't think you're gonna stalk turkey in georgia i mean not that we hunt from tree stands for them but the terrain isn't set up for you to to it, it's really not and in, i in the urban area especially and, and i don't know i don't know where you've hunted outside of georgia yeah. um and i'm not gonna so i'm i, bef- I don't want to get hate mail i'm not yeah. gonna call any <laughs> any places out but i can tell you i've been to some states yeah. And hunted deer in those states, and I grew up in a different state and hunting deer. It's completely different down here because, and and Nick was the one that made that statement about okay. the wind. Oh, yeah. um, but those guys, the first time he and Tom hunted here, they were like, "Holy!" I mean, there could be a herd of animals twenty yards from me. I'm never going to see them. Never going to see them. So it's 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 definitely. Uh, so when I say most days, if I go out hunting. I'm seeing animals, and I'm seeing animals within 30 yards. Great, but it might as well be a mile. Yep. Uh, and and but to but to get to the point where you can see a deer consistently at 30 yards here, yep. that's a that's a pretty good that's accomplishment. Pretty it is, it is. So yes, so going back to some of the you were asked, uh, we talked earlier, spoke earlier about uh, kind of the areas. I look for the thickest areas. Um, what I've found in in the last couple of years of bow hunting, and especially when I transitioned from, uh, you know, rifle to to, uh, to to compound and now to traditional for the last nine years, um, is I've tend I've tend to see um, or found that the, my my bigger bucks travel in those areas that are very very dense, very thick, and so those are the areas where I set up stands. Areas that normally you'd go, I can't hunt in there. 
I can't, but that's where that's I routinely see the big bucks. Do you, do you tend to see them using the the core of that thick area, or do they work the, the edges more? Um, I'd say work the edges, but I've, I have seen them in the core of it. Mm-hmm. I've seen them in the core of it, um, and and that's and that's especially late season. Especially late season, I will try to put myself right in the middle of that that that, that privet. Yeah. I'm, I'm, Right in the middle, because that's where scrub they are. pines. The scrub pines. Yep. That's where they're going to be in the thick, thick areas. Yeah, Tom. Tom still gives me a hard time because he swears that I had a, a stand in a tree one time that when he sat in it, he he knew he was constantly <laughs> being lowered to the ground because it was so small. But that's but that's where they are. That's yeah. where they are. It's, it's those thick areas, and so um, yeah, I, I, I you know I used to as a rifle hunter, I wanted to see. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a former marine, um, and so. You know, you want to see a thousand miles. Sure. And as a rifle hunter, I wanted this. You know, I wanted that two hundred yard shot. You know, um, and I and I look back at how I hunted before as a kid, and, and you know, I was I loved power lines. I wanted to see them, but that wasn't to me. And I'm not by any means disparaging anybody else, but that was sniping when I hunted out far. But what, so let me just so ask I'm that question. But them. why, if you look back now, and I can tell you. From I know what my experience was because I've done the same thing. I hunted with rifles, handguns, black powder. I, I would have thrown rocks at them if it was legal. But why did you like hunting those power lines? Was it because you wanted to make the long shot or because since you could see so much area, you were you, you had a better opportunity to actually see an I think, animal? I think it was to see the, the open area. Because yeah. uh, I, I remember the days there weren't I, – I don't remember seeing, golly, back in the 80s. Never saw a buck. I just never saw them. But as your as your woodsmanship, your skills, and, and yeah, got better, got better, got better. And as, a, as I don't think I was a, I mean, I'm, I'm by no means where you are, or Spikes, or some of these other, you know, RC or or to that degree. <laughs> your by record no, speaks no, for no yourself. Way. Don't I'm nowhere to that degree. Um, You're too humble. But, but when I when I started hunting with a bow, um, that changed. I, I think I, I I became more of a student. And, and wanted to learn more. Um, what was, as a it, Fred, rifle hunter, what was it Fred Bear said? Something to the effect that you'll learn more in one day of hunting with a bow well, than you will in a month with a rifle? rifle. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, that, and, and that's exactly it. As, as a rifle, um, again, I'm not disparaging rifle hunters by any means, but I was a sniper. Well, you know, we were talking you know, to, um, uh, and I'm not sure which podcast is going to air first, but we were talking to Mike Mitten. And he, he made this statement, and um, Barry Winslow was on the TradQuest podcast a few weeks ago. And Barry's one that actually said it, and it, it, it just, when I heard it, even though I knew it, when I heard Barry say it, it was like, you know, that that's it. It was, people don't, it, he said something to the effect of, when I hear or see somebody shoot an animal with a rifle, I'm happy for them. It's not that, but I think about how much of the experience they robbed themselves of by just pulling the trigger. Yeah. And there was so much more yeah. to that hunt that they didn't get to experience. And that's just like, wow, that's that's really cool. That's that's really yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think back, if I look back um, and reflect on my hunts, I, 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 the ones with the bow, the ones with the rifle, kind of tell you but it, it, the emotion's not in there but if i tell you about the bones of the bow mm-hmm. i'm it, it's they're memorable they're locked in um i can almost tell you each animal i've ever taken with a bow 
you know, be very descriptive and, and just remember it. Sure. Whereas with a rifle. Um, now, I will say that this year I took a young man, out, a friend of mine who's um, his dad's not around. I took him out for his first hunt um, and I took my dog. And that was the first time I'd been nervous around a rifle on a rifle hunt. I was nervous for them. Right. <laughs> you know, I wanted them to be successful, and they both were. Um, but that that's where I was nervous, uh, pulling the trigger. Um, well, and I'm kind of the same way. I've And I've taken some nice some nice deer with a firearm. And, yes, I can tell you about those hunts, and I remember them well. But the first deer I took with a bow was – my father gave me a bow when I was 16. My father didn't hunt, so he – I, I – I, I wanted to be out there, you know, from the time I knew what was what was going on. But my father didn't hunt, and he bought me a bow for my 16th birthday, and I committed. I wasn't going. I was going to hunt with that until I, until I got a deer with it. And I think it was two years. So I would have been. That would have been. I don't know. I'd have to do the math. Yeah. 80, 80, 85 or eighty six was when I got. And I can tell you. To this day, every little vivid every detail, detail about that entire hunt and the whole experience, which yeah. we won't go into yeah. now, but maybe I'll tell you after the, after we get through yeah. here. Well, you know, I remember my first day I ever took was with a bow, uh, a compound bow in 19, uh, 1985. Wow. Uh, first air. And then... Uh, that's similar. That's first eerily air. close to first, the same yeah. time. First day I ever took, 1985. Um, I, I remember the deer. It was a three-legged deer came in earlier, and I wasn't going to shoot that one because my... Friends would harass me. Right. And then I had another doe come in and a bobcat going back and forth. And then another deer came in and I shot that other one. Um, and then after that, I never, I, I, up until several years later, I never shot another one with a bow. What's, how not, big was the first one you shot? Oh, a doe. Oh, okay. It might have been mine was 85 little, pounds. Mine was a little five point. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But it could have been it could have been a, a Boone and Crockett for all yeah. I cared at the time, man. Yeah. So... Yeah. We kind of we kind of drifted off, off did, subject a little we bit did, there, but there did, is one did. there is one thing I do that you and I kind of talked about um, when we were discussing actually sitting down and doing this podcast that I do want to go back to. Um, and during that conversation, you mentioned um, you mentioned that there were uh, different not tactics, but there's a different approach that you have to take when you're hunting these urban areas specifically around when you're successful. Um, and I was really kind of taken back by some of that, that what you went into, what you, what you actually do um, after you get an animal on the ground. So I did want you to go into this, some of that and why, cause I think it would be very beneficial for so, the listeners. So the concerns, I guess uh, there's concerns. Um, one of the first things is, you know, um, if I talk to a property owner to get permission, and they give me permission. I look at the size of the lot, and I look kind of I look at the surrounding area because one uh, hunting is deer, and it's a privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you, you know the climate that that it is. There's some people who don't favor hunting. Um, they look at it as brutal. They look at it as inhumane. Whatever. Okay. Sure. And that privilege could be taken away really quick. All it takes is one person to go to the city council That's right. and say they've been offended. And what the commissioners can do, they can't they can't make it illegal to hunt. Because by 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 state law we can hunt. But what they can do is come back and make it illegal to discharge a projectile. 
which effectively um, does which effectively the same does thing. the same thing. And so I, I'm cognizant of that. Um, and so, you know, you know, back in the old days, I remember guys, you know, they'd shoot a deer and they'd load it on the back of their truck. Some of them might even put it on the hood and drive around and show everybody. You just can't do that because there are some people are going to be offended by it. And I know some people care, uh, who cares if they're offended, but that person being offended now is going to prevent yeah. me from being able. So, um, there, like I said, I said earlier, there's some areas I won't hunt, even if I have permission to hunt there. Once I kind of get a look at the, the, the surroundings, I'll just choose. It's, it's not worth it to, to, to bring that upon myself or any other hunters in the area. But what I will do is uh, sometimes I'll wait till, till after dark if I have to bring it out. I have permission from the landowner. If I can't bring it up, you know, I'll bring it up through his property or drag it. I might have to drag it to the roadway. Sure. And so I'll wait till after dark. But another thing that I do is I don't wear a whole lot of camouflage. Um, I do like first light gear but i don't wear a lot of camouflage and um uh, i wear plaid i wear uh some earth tone pants i, I like i happen to like first light so i get their greens or their browns right and i wear uh uh either a flannel shirt or some type of plaid shirt um later part latter part of the season i'll wear some of the um uh what are those uh with the wool shirts out of uh pennsylvania remember um or they were again but anyway i wear a wool a wool shirt um and that way i don't look as it's, incons- it's inconspicuous you don't look like a hunter i don't look like a hunter and for some of the people it's they know I'm, they might know i'm hunting but i'm not walking around with this this camouflage on right um if i'm in a rural area that'll go oh no problem at all nobody will have a problem with it but in the urban area some people are going to take to offense by it. And the last thing I would want is for a deer to run out in somebody's yard and the kids are getting off the school bus. Right. It's just, it's just, it's not worth it. Um, and I don't want to project the hunting community. There's enough, there are enough TV shows out there that have these guys going into mansions. I don't know if it's still running, but these guys are going in there and whooping it up and high-fiving and, you know, having conflicts with homeowners and it, and it, and it, projects really bad on the hunting community sure it does. so uh in that case i if i've got to sit in the woods and you know I've, I've i've actually one day sat there and watch some walkers walk right by they're walking by with their dog and they just walked on right by i sat and let them walk walk by and then i come out and pull my vehicle up my truck up and load it up um i used to have a forerunner that had a i couldn't put it in the in the in the back of the truck but i had a um a hitch on the back Right, and so I put it on a hitch, and I always carried a tarp. Covered it up, and I would cover it up. Yeah, um, and that's probably the best thing to do. It, it's just yeah, and it's, it's not being apologetic. You're not no, apologizing. No, no. It's just being smart just, and, yeah. and not drawing attention. Drawing, to drawing attention. Exactly. That, that's it. You know, because you might have on that one street, you might have four or five people that are pro hunting. You have that one lady who she just does not maybe had a bad experience with hunters or for whatever reason um, has this this. Uh, uh, no, thought may, of what hunters are. Maybe a card, card-carried member of PETA. You don't, who knows? Who yeah. knows? And so now, because of that, you've eliminated the opportunity to hunt. And, you know, there are a couple communities right around here, um, a couple cities that have those ordinances. And you go, and they're deer everywhere. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, they're deer everywhere. And they won't let you fire a projectile. So I've, I've, been, I've been cognizant of that. Um, and I just don't advertise. You know, the homeowner knows. You know, maybe two or three owners, the homeowners are right around. Yeah. And that's it. I don't. I don't. 
Um, I know that some guys have gone on video. They've published them on YouTube. And there's petitions in, in the community where I am to, to ban it. Um, because somebody happened to see it on the video. And recognize the location. You recognize the location. I mean, about these guys talk about the location. They don't talk about the, the specific, but the what cities they're in. Right, right. And so now, you know, there's a petition out there to, 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 uh, to eliminate it. And so um, we have enough um, heat coming from many corners that I'm just not trying to add. Right, to, right. To, if you can control it, why not control it? So you mentioned the uh, you mentioned the the flannel and the plaid and the what about the red bandana? Hmm. Oh, the red bandana! <laughs> the red bandana started as there were a couple guys that would tease me that I didn't have the latest camo, and I and I did that back in the compound. You know, I got caught up in the craze, I the whole scent control thing and. Uh, 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 charcoal suit and all that nonsense. It's hard not to. It's hard not to get caught <laughs> you know? And then I look back and I'd look back and I go, man, guys from the 50s and 60s, they were extremely, 70s were extremely successful hunting in red and black plaid, right. you know? And so it was kind of a joke. And so now um, one of the bows, a couple of the bows that I hunt with are red glass bows. Well, you're never going to kill anything with that. And I've been pretty, forced, been pretty successful with it. So, I just I just started wearing the red bandana, and now it's just the lucky red bandana. So <laughs> I, I, it's the red bandana bull hunter. <laughs> you know, that's so that's cool. kind of how that started. Is that your screen name that's, anywhere? That's a, 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 a Instagram or something. That's one of the Instagram <laughs> red bandana bull hunter. Because you, you know, I don't think the deer see the red bandana. They're gonna, they're gonna smell me or hear me before they see the red bandana. You know, I, and I agree with you. <laughs> However, I will say this: I have to give credit where credit's due. Yep. In my opinion, yep. I bought last year. Um, and I, I don't get me wrong, I've killed a lot of deer in flannel shirts. Yeah, yeah, okay? yeah. Oh, yeah. I bought some ASAT camo last mm-hmm. year. And I will tell you, I truly believe I got away with movement I shouldn't have gotten away with wearing that camo. Well, I will tell you. So, um, especially up in a tree. So, I will tell you this year, um, I shot a, uh, I shot a doe that, Jumped in. I, th- I think in the picture, I had gone home because I'd sweat so much in that thing. I, um, I, and I had uh, I had some other camo underneath, but I had the ASD camo mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. And I was walking to the tree stand. And as I was walking through my peripheral, I saw two deer. But I didn't stop. I kept walking to the next tree, and I stopped. Knocked an arrow. And I knocked it and started drawing back as I looked back. Well, that deer was still trying to figure out what I was. Right. And it hesitated a little too long. And that's the <laughs> one that jumped in the river. And I caught heck, you know, trying to get it because it jumped in the river and died and started floating down the river. And there I am running down the river trying to get it. And it hung up on a deadfall. And then I tried to climb down the river and realized it's a six-foot drop. And then I don't know how deep the bed is <laughs> once I got in. And this is January. And uh, this is when I decided, you know what? My wife's not going to appreciate me drowning in really? this river over a doe. And so I came back up, went home, got a rope, called a buddy and, we were able to get it out, but you're, you're right. That that I, I don't think that I think it distorts that that, that plaid uh, uh, pattern really distorts them a whole lot. It, you know? it 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 it. I honestly think it. And I, again, I think most most camo patterns I think uh, are too dark. They're too dark, and they're you know the 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 different colors are so small. It looks great to you and I. Mm-hmm. But you put that out at, at 50, 60 yards, and, and it just turns into black. Blah. Yeah. Big you, blob. 
but the 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 ASAT the the light the 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 ASAT camo being based on light colors with the dark the contrast, contrast is what makes it good. It you're, yeah. you're exactly right. You're so, exactly right. But I, I've secured some of that because they're not making it anymore. I uh, I secured some from the same. Yeah, I was really upset when First Light <laughs> discontinued. The, now yeah. you can still get ASAT camo. You can still get it ASAT, for the company. Yep, yeah, but not yeah. from First from Light. First Light, yeah. So I'm trying to decide. I'm in a quandary right now for mule deer. Uh, I've, I've obviously, you know, took off some more weight for this yeah, hunt. Yeah, that's awesome. I can I can get by with what I have in the ASAP, yeah. but I'm wondering, do I want to invest in the smaller uh, first light to Sight, go with so, the, um, so, so the no the fusion the fusion fusion fusion? And yeah. I can't decide. I think I'm going to end up going with the first yeah. light because I just don't yeah. think it matters. Especially yeah. that camo is just fantastic. Yeah. Well, I've I've um, uh, I was on their pro staff for a while, and so I've been fortunate to have acquired a some of their gear and it's 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 you know i'm not they don't pay me i don't ever right. you know but it's it's good gear i i won't complain about it it's just it's it's really uh, good gear so i must admit i've been pretty happy with it and i'm planning on that that's the gear i'm wearing to to wyoming um uh it'll it'll pretty much all be first light but almost i don't want to get too deep in that con- discussion because tom and i are actually going to sit down and do a recording on what our gear selections were but I love the merino. Yep, the yep, merino yep, will yep, just love can't it. Beat it. Um, um, but also, let yeah, me go back on the yeah. on the red bandana. I don't wear a red bandana to turkey hunt, so I just put that out there. <laughs> it gets put away. From you have your limits. Season. Huh? Yeah, I, I won't wear it. <laughs> well, now I'm, I'm. You know, one of these days I'm gonna actually get serious or try to get serious at least once or twice about turkey. I just the times I've been. It just doesn't excite me, and I think I'm doing it wrong because I keep hearing people talking about how how excited they get, and I think I must be doing something wrong. It, it, I don't know. It is. Um, so there are a few areas in the there are a few areas in the urban area that you can turkey hunt. Um, uh, again, the the, the 400 acre slot that I have placed that's right, where I do right. my turkey hunt. Some people have access to golf courses. They're there. Um, I mean, anywhere in this urban area, turkeys all over the golf courses. Sure. Sure. Um, I went turkey hunting two or three times with a shotgun. Never got one. Went one time with a, a friend of ours, Al Chapman. Oh, yeah. And uh, called in a big gobbler. He didn't come. I didn't get him. But from that time on, that interactive of calling and playing, and um, it's it's addictive. It's it's so addictive. Um, uh, 2015, I was able, I was fortunate to get one without a blind. Um, I have not, that, that was the only time, uh, I've been busted more time than I can count trying to hunt them outside of a blind. Um, that one, I wore a ghillie suit and I sat in a tree line. I set my decoys outside the tree line. Fortunate for me, they came in from the field, mm-hmm. um, and they came into the decoy. So I was hidden behind the tree line and was right. able to, to get them. But other than that, um, I have not been fortunate to get them. I, I've called him more coyotes. <laughs> than anything. Have you killed you a know, coyote with your I've, longbow? I've killed a coyote with a longbow down in Chickasaw Hatchie. On the ground? No, on the ground. Well, I was actually walking. My man, walking. you know, I've killed I've killed two now, and both of them was on, on, on the, the ground. ground. Yeah. The closest one was actually at less than seven yards. Oh, no, this, these were about 15 yards. I was in a, and, and if you'd seen where I was, you, it's, uh, and I've got a theory about that. i got a theory about a lot of things, yeah. but um, I'd made a, it wasn't even a blind, it was just I'd, I'd cut a, a pocket out of some, River cane um, on, a, on a piece of public land up in North Georgia off the Etowah River. And I am convinced that the vertical lines in that river cane blinds everything. This coyote was, I mean, it was coming straight to me, looking right at my direction, never, never paid me any attention. And it finally, when it 
there was two of them, and when one of them, one of them started, it was almost like they were playing. But when it turned, it turned to follow and was walking away from me. And that was all she wrote. Oh, it was probably six and a half yards. I mean, it was. Uh, I was scared it was going to hear me drawing. It was so close. Wow. Well, I, I didn't tell you this now. Yeah. That broadhead that you're, I don't think you're selling them anymore. The Magnus single bevel? Nobody is because the company oh, God, that company makes them. On. Man. I love those single bevels. That is an awesome bevel. broadhead. That is an awesome. That's, I just want to say that. That's an awesome broadhead. Well, I, I've actually talked about this a couple of times, and I'm not going to bore the listeners, yeah. but I know we're getting ready. We're going to go grab a bite to eat yep. in a minute. I'll, I'll tell you a couple stories about those because, yeah, I wished, I wished anything that, that either Thunder Valley would come back into business or somebody would buy that equipment because – I love that really wide, and it's a so everybody knows what we're talking about. Um, simply traditional. I actually worked with Thunder Valley to have a single bevel Magnus made built off of the 160 grain, which is an inch and a half wide broadhead with a single bevel. And yeah, they're they're it's pretty devastating. they're wicked. Devastating. So I do want to I, I do want to try to wrap this up because I know I've, I've kept you long enough, Crispin. But right. I I do want to close with with one question. Um, of you know have you have you got any i've seen some of the bucks you've taken there'll be some pictures posted with these but have you got any bucks that you're they're you're tar, i won't i hate the yeah, word targeting target. but you you have on your um, wish list for this fall uh there's one um i've only had him on camera twice um i he's the only one he's the only one i've seen um but i i, I think they're the the if there is, if there's a chase, the chase is on because um, there was a buck taken last year that I had on camera, uh, 2017. Beautiful buck. He, somebody, I was, I was hunting him when I got the one opening season last, opening morning. Right. Somebody got him. Um, and now we're hunting. I'm hunting one side of the creek, which is another city, uh. and he's hunting the other side of the creek, which is in another city. And so we're, we're, we, we, we're hunting the same game. Right. I didn't know. I, like I said, I hunted this area for nine years. And there were times where I would go, oh, I, I know I've got some big bucks in the area, but well, maybe he got hit by a car, you know, because I hadn't right, seen right. him again. Yep. I didn't know they were hunting him on the, on the other side of the creek. So now that I know, uh, you know, there, there's a chance. Those guys generally don't shoot anything. Um, uh, they... If it's not at least 140 class, right? They, they don't shoot anything unless it's big. You know, he this this buck might come in right around there. So it's who who gets him first. Now, have you had? I've obviously, like I said, I've seen some, some of the buck. bucks you kept. Have you had any of them scored? I have the, my first two big bucks. I had scored one was a 138. Um, the other ones I think is 126 or maybe a 128. Um, after that, I didn't score any of those. Yeah. It, it but there's just, some, they're, they're, they're just, big bucks. They're, yeah. The, 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 the ones that I've taken with the trap, those two were taken with a compound bow off the same area. Mm-hmm. The ones that I've taken off since then are bigger than those, right. but I just haven't got them scored. I'm, I'm, you know, I used to score them. I mean, that was fun now, you know, and, and it's, I think you and I were talking earlier. It's almost to the point that my wife said no more in the wall. Yeah. There's no more wall space for them, um, to where I'm I'm just as happy getting the doe now as if I I won't shoot a I won't shoot a small buck not not over there you know, um, and but, I'm still uh, I'm still looking for uh, like I said I've killed yeah. some big deer yeah, I haven't yeah. killed a a really big buck with yeah. now does that mean I'm I don't target 
Yeah. I, yep. I don't take, I, I just not going to do that. Yeah. Uh, I think I put myself in positions where I've got a good chance, chance. to see a big see a buck. Bit, yeah. Yeah. And again, we'll, we'll talk later, yeah. but I've, I know I, I've been close to a really big one just this past year. Yep. That's a whole nother story, but, yeah. um, you know, I know it'll, I know it'll come, but I'm kind of like you. I, my goal each year is I want, I would like to put a minimum of two in the freezer, mm-hmm. but no more than three. And yeah. I've pretty much done that the last several years. Yeah. And I got, a, yeah. I got a nice buck last year. Is it yeah. a, is it a Pope and Young Mont? No, but yeah. it was a big deer. I mean, it was a big yeah. deer. So, so, and you might be rare. I'm sure the, the listeners probably are not, but um, 2012, I can contracted the Lone Star uh, meat allergy. Right. Um, lived with that for a year before, maybe two years before I even knew what it was. Um, and as a, as a result of that, I cannot eat mammal meat. So no red meat, no mammal meat I can eat. And so, um, you know, I, I hate the term trophy hunter. Um, I, I, I will harvest there for somebody so they want it. Sure. But it's, it's, it, 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 you know, it, in my freezer, it means nothing because I can't eat it. And you know, I'll, and so I'll, and I will tell you after learning about that from you because I'd never heard of it when you told yeah. me about it. Yeah. I am religious about uh, permethrin. Permethrin, and every time I'm even with the permethrin, when I come home, I'm checking. Yeah. To, yeah. I, I look yeah. everywhere because. Yeah. I don't know what I'd do, man. I, <laughs> Eat fish and turkey. Uh, my, no. Yeah, my wife would tell you I'd starve. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. No, I just I, it just for you know it. it Put me in a hospital three times. Wow. Um, and so it's just stuff. yeah. So it's just it's just not worth it for me to. Now I will cheat with bacon. I, I can't give up bacon, so I'm gonna still eat bacon. Um, but uh, a steak or a pork sandwich or a venison burger or anything like that, it would put me in a hospital. So I just you know so as a result of that, um, I have become a little bit more selective in when I take a game, you know, um, and, and also a little bit now I will tell you that I find, uh, a a mature doe a lot more challenging than I do a buck. I would, I would strongly agree with that. That's a lot more Um, challenging. And I don't know if, I don't know if you ever read it, but I had a a article years ago that was published in a, you know, like a, a little magazine and it's on the simply traditional site called a hunter will understand. And that's a. If you hadn't read that, I, okay. I'll, I'll send you a link. You okay. ought to read it because yeah. it's about one of those mature old does. Yeah. And I'll tell you, Crispin, I, I pursued that doe the entire season, and not to give everything away about it, but when it come down to it, I couldn't do it. Yeah. Uh, I I had built up so much respect for her. <laughs> the The core of the story is when, when the opportunity finally presented itself in the split second of an eye, I went from. I've got her to, am I doing this because your ego, my ego or, and, and I couldn't shoot her. And so anyway, you'll have to read that, especially where the hunter will understand you'll, you'll get the meaning of it when you read it. But I agree with you. Those, those old does are, yeah, they're, they're just, yeah, they're, they're, they have eyes all over, all around their head, 360. I mean, you just can't get away from them. And and so there's a little bit more of a challenge. um, I think sometimes with a, with an older doe, um, young bucks, just, they're young bucks, <laughs> you know, they make, you know, and I, and I was like, ah, I don't want this animal to have to fault because of, right. you know, cause he, cause he was just not real bright, he just wasn't I mean, smart, just wasn't yet. smart yep. yet, you know? So, um, 
So I, I've been a little bit more selective. Now, if a big one comes out, I, I got. I was like, oh man, you know, if he comes within range, yeah. it, then then it's 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 not on, but it's like, ah, golly, I can't pass that one up, you know. Well, if um, if if, <laughs> if uh, I hope the opportunity for this one that you're talking about presents itself, thank but you. I hope yep. it's I hope it's successful. Crispin, I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed this. I I really appreciate it. And, I have to thank and, you. Uh, you know, we'll. We may figure, we may have to figure out a way to exchange hunts on public well, versus we, we will urban, oh, we will we will we'll, 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 we'll 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 I've got to bring you down to the to the to the city and let you kind of get it <laughs> yeah you're gonna hate it at first because you're gonna hear cars you're gonna hear horns you might hear a lawnmower you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put you right in the city because <laughs> that'll be too much for you yeah you can go <laughs> I, I'll tell you there was one time I was in the stand. In my little area, and a new family had moved in and had rented a house, so they didn't know. And the kids were playing on the road. I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" You know, because this little neighbor, it's a little cul-de-sac neighbor, it was right. quiet. All older, you know, older people. And this young family moves in, and the kids are playing. And next minute, they're running almost underneath my tree. And I'm like, "Get out of here!" Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, "What?" You know. And I, I just had to look back. I just sit down and just laugh. I'm like, "Hey, well, what I'm else like, are you going to do? What else going to do?" You know. But I was kind of sick to, you know. But but it happens that 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 happens. You hunt in the urban area, you're gonna be lawnmowers. You gotta tune those out and guy with a blower. Yeah. But you know it doesn't affect the game. It, I'm gonna I'm gonna take you up on. I want to see it. <laughs> let's uh let's let's go get a bite. To eat. Okay, that sounds good. All right, thank you, Chris. Th- thank you so take much care. for having me on. And a very special thank you to all our listeners. We sure hope you enjoyed the episode. Please remember to head over and check out the sponsor of this episode at www.stjoeriverbows.com. So long, everyone.